podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sir Jim Radcliffe isn't focused on making money, while his Ineas takeover has fans licking their lips at the prospect of what is to come. We're going to be chatting about that, Sir Dave Brailsford, Dan Ashworth and the January transfer window, while also focusing on Eric Ten Hag and the Jekyll and Hyde performances of his side ahead of Monday's FA Cup third round fixture with Wigan Athletic. We'll also be answering as many of your questions as humanly possible on the latest episode of your Streddycast. Happy New Year to one and all. Thank you for tuning in to the first installment of 2024. Now, as always, I'm Sean Connolly, and I'm delighted to be joined by my comrades in crime, Mr. Dale O'Donnell and the enigmatic Brian Murphy. Now, lads, given the nature of proceedings regarding the impending arrival of Sir Jim Radcliffe and his Ineos venture, I feel it's only fitting that we kick off with the 71-year-old billionaire. Now, say what you will about a man attempting to put a positive spin on his arrival and, I suppose, generate positive positivity, we'll say, with a mandatory PR machine. United's new co-owner has advised staff that he is not concerned about making money from his investment and instead... He solely wants to focus on returning the club to winning ways. He also went on to acknowledge that what we already know in highlighting the club's failures over the past decade, but also reinforced determination to bring success by creating an elite environment. Now, as we all know, listeners in here, success by and large is the result of forward planning and meticulous preparation behind the scenes. Now, aligning the correct individuals with the required roles and essentially allowing everybody to sing from the same hymn sheet, that's necessary. And while some are disgruntled with the fact that the Glazers remain, others are attempting to view this Ineos arrival as the beginning of their end. Guys, I want to know right off the bat where you both stand on this. How do you view what is ultimately the finest of first impressions, Brian? It's funny, Sean. I suppose I'm so used to people looking at people saying things that come across positively, positively and initially going, mm, suspect, is it just a PR spin? But, and you, I'm sure plenty of people have looked at it and thought that, but I'm choosing to be positive and I'm choosing to accept it and take it for face value for now. So his introduction to the club, his statement or his conversation about what he wants to achieve, the mindset, the lack of um, interest in making financial income out of it, Music to my ears. I just hope it's. I hope it's the truth. I'm going to accept that it is. Um, he's identified, like you said, issues, which we're all aware of. I think the dog on the street could identify plenty of issues with the club and how and the structure and how it's ran and how it's operating. But I'm hopeful and I'm positive that to see him come in and the Ineos team come in, they're going to implement change. Now I'm not expecting the start of February, Man United have a complete different setup and we're a new club and we're all all of a sudden we're the best ran club in the world. It's going to take time. And anyone listening to this podcast, don't for one second think that this guy coming in is going to just be an overnight success. There's been years and years of rot, bad planning, bad appointments and internally, silly moves by the board and, and, and jobs for the lads and that kind of crack going on. So it's going to take time to root out some of the guys that aren't pulling their weight behind the scenes or aren't adeptly qualified or aren't really doing what they should be doing or aren't capable of getting us to the level we want to be at. But again, as I said, it takes time. They're going to have to identify people to come in. 
they're going to have to identify a modus operandi of how the club wants to operate, what direction we want to take, what's the best pathway of returning back to elite football and back to the top of the top of the ladder again. So it's it's like like a new manager coming into the team. You, you identify your squad, you identify the players that you want to keep and the ones that aren't really the ones that are going to help you move forward. And over the course of a few transfer windows, you, you try and adapt change. Similar to that, Ratcliffe's going to come in with his team. They're going to identify guys who they want to keep and ones who haven't, haven't been performing. And I'm sure over time, they'll, they'll try and implement them changes. But it's you have to be positive for the future because we've gone through this sale process and we've argued and fought and, and we've had so much over and back and debate and full sale only Qatar, Sir Jim. I mean, it got to a stage where I think everyone was just absolutely sick of it. So to see closure on it is a positive side. It's not what everyone wanted. Um, for me, it was always the best of a bad bunch between the two options we had. I never wanted Qatar to come in. I was open about that. So I'm I'm happy on that side. I'm not obviously ecstatic that he's only managed to get X percentage of the club, but I have to accept that it's a starting point. It's it's less glazer power. It's less of a grab on the club for them. We've reduced their ownership of the club, and I'm hoping that that will reduce over time further and further, and eventually we get rid of them. So I hope it's a, it's a, a pathway to the end of the glazer ownership of Manchester United and their involvement with the club. But for now, it's a good start, and to see the football control side of things as they call it to being handed over to them and being taken away from people that none of us trust to have the right ideas or none of us trust to have the right mind frame or mindset that that can only be a good thing I mean we need to focus on the pitch with so long Manchester United has been treated as a commercial outlet and focused on getting noodle sponsors whiskey sponsors red wine sponsors fucking tyre sponsors that's all well and good. And that's brilliant for the financial side of the club. And yes, it's it's needed. You need to be commercially viable at the top of the game. But you still need to play football well and you still need to win football matches. And that was forgotten for so long. We've we've just gone through a myriad of shit and become a very hard football team to watch with a, a squad that's been assembled over time by numerous managers not getting enough time to put their stamp on the side. And we've now come to a stage where we just need a bit of forward thinking for a change, like not this 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 fucking stuck in the mud idea of just all we do is get in as much money as we can and we'll we'll try and go to China and sell jerseys there. No, we'll try let's try win fucking football matches and listen to Jim Radcliffe, that's what he wants, and that's what he's saying to the team. And it was nice that he addressed the staff of Manchester United. We were speaking this off off screen a minute ago with Dale, but it's nice to hear the staff reporting back in a very positive fashion that they felt valued and they felt nice it was nice to be spoken to by the new owner coming in directly and to be included in conversations because anyone who's working for Manchester United they can only assume is a United fan for the most part and loves the club and wants nothing but the best so it's um yeah I'm probably have to go on off on a big massive rant but it's all I can think is it's positive for the future and let's hope it is well I suppose that's that's the logical view and the worry that I would have based on everything you said and one particular topic is how so many people expect overnight success when realistically it's not going to be overnight success it's going to be a formulated plan that as i touched upon we need people singing off the same hymn sheet and another very interesting factor in it is that we're told that the initial 300 million dollars is but the start of the investment that fans can expect the man is aiming for a best in class setup deal with mr sir dave brailsford spearheading that vision a man you and i know well a man we've spoken about well 
What are your view on Mr. Brailsford joining the team? I think looking at his CV, he's brought success pretty much everywhere. So that's going to excite people. I think there's some flaws too. There'd be some criticisms. You look at Bradley Wiggins would rubbish his um, theory of marginal gains, but you'd also have people when those are successful looking to strip them down. Um, Bradley Wiggins owes a lot of his success to Brailsford and, and the team there. And there was obviously a big fallout. It's, you know, it's turned a bit bitter, um, which is something that happens. But look, I'm, I'm excited about this because I mentioned on a previous podcast that Inuos are going to try and bring the best in class to Manchester United. And if you're reading reports, there's been stuff about Dan Ashworth at Newcastle, not just him, but his potential appointment along with Paul Mitchell. You know, it's, we're not just getting one. We, we, we seem to be getting a, quite a few. Um, Blanc is another person that is well-respected in the football world. Brailsford might not be, but he can possibly, he has that pull factor where I think these guys that are coming in from different clubs will want to work at Manchester United. Um, there was reports that Dan Ashworth was a bit frustrated at Newcastle. Um, and what United are apparently offering him is basically the key to the kingdom which is is not something that has been the case at Manchester United before. So you look at John Murtaugh, apparently football director. He's not really. It's like football director light. He doesn't have the the scope or, or the power to, to do what football directors at other football clubs are renowned for. You look at Manchi, um, Paul Mitchell previously. They have the power at these clubs to, to go out and push out their scout, scouting networks across different continents and pick up these players. That doesn't happen at Manchester United. For years and years and years, there's been complaints about delays. Delays with the Glazers when someone wants to make a decision. Joe Glazer has to give that green light, and that can take weeks. With Inuas now taking over football operations, I think that is something, as fans, that we can immediately get excited about because there should be that process should be a lot, lot quicker now. We'll have Brailsford and Mever, maybe two people, Ashford and, and Mitchell. We have a number of people all working on this. It won't have to be given the green light by Joe Glazer anymore. But I guess one of my concerns, though, lads, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it, is so they've got football or control of football operations. I'm still intrigued to see how Radcliffe will work with the Glazers over the next two to three years because there was reports that... Radcliffe is going to block the possibility of them taking dividends for up to three or four years. And if that's the case, then what are the Glazers getting out of this? Are they planning on selling the next two to three years? I'm sure if they are, that Radcliffe will have first refusal on, on, on that offer. If you're looking at this logically, and I suppose trying to look at it pragmatically, we have a guy coming in dropping over a billion to have participation in a football club. And the very first statement that he gives is that he's not looking for return on investment. So unless he's some sort of modern day white knight who's planning on coming in and dropping a fortune and not lining his own pockets, given the fact that he's an astute businessman who has obviously got to where he is by being a very shrewd businessman, there's surely some sort of logic in moving forward. There has to be logic in moving forward. And while we don't know enough about it just yet, Surely the prospect and the possibility of being able to assume full control of the club is something that's done in, in, in the horizon and something that he wants. And while you're talking about the speculation of blocking on dividends, there's also speculation and, and reports that 
the Glazers are going to expect some sort of a financial return, i.e. him buying their, the club off him within a certain time period. You know, this is something that's there. It's something that's out in the open. And until it's fully disclosed, I suppose a lot of it is hearsay. But I can't imagine this is a guy who's willing to come into the football club and just burn money without the prospect of something coming back in the future. Like you're saying, he's not hes not a foolish man, a very astute businessman. And although he's saying he's not in it to make money, he's going to generically make money if the club is successful. So the better the club gets, he obviously will make money out of that. Now, dividends have become a desperately dirty word amongst United, amongst United fans over the last while, or the last number of years, specifically due to the fact that the hatred of the Glazers and them taking dividends, it highlights them taking money out of the club, lining their pockets, and everyone's developed this massive hatred towards the owners of the club making money. However, if the owners of the club were not the Glazers and the owners of the club were more affable and, and likable people or, or a more accepted ownership, dividends wouldn't be an issue because if they're putting their own money in and they're, and they're creating something that's that's good, for the want of a better word, a, a, a good club, ran well, successful on the field or relatively successful in the field, sure, it, it is a business at the end of the day in one sense, although it's a football club, first and foremost to all of us, but for them it's a football club and a business. So to make money off the club in a sense is not the most revolting thing as long as they're using the funds and putting funds in themselves to create this this financial gain back or, or whatever way you want to look at it. I suppose I don't know enough of the ins and outs of what the way this deal is set up and what way it's all broken down. So I, I won't claim to know the, the, the financial insides and outs of it. But I can only assume that he's coming in and he's saying these nice things that I'm not in it for the money. Of course, you, you're, you're a multi-billionaire, but you still want to get a return on your investment regardless of where you're putting your money or what you're doing. Not to say that he wants to put in 300 and make 2 billion after 300, but he's still going to want to get recoup money for, put, for putting money back into the club. So, And he's well entitled to do that. I mean, if he, put, he puts us back on the map at the top of the, the spectrum in, in the league and back into European football. The club has been run as a football club. I've no issue with him making money off that, as in not making money off. Do you know what I mean? It, it sounds dirty, but I've no issue with him gaining monetary return on his investment because at the end of the day, if he's putting hundreds of millions in, and he's achieving what he's saying he's set out to achieve. By all means, Jim, get some money back off it, but make sure that the club is still being ran the right way with the right mindset and the right mind frame. And I don't think anyone would have an issue with that. I think, Brian, you nailed it on the dividends, right? Because no one would have a problem, as you said, if someone putting their money in and running the club properly and the club being successful and then rewarding themselves at the end of the year with some dividends. I don't think there'd be a problem if the club was being run properly. Um, the problem is, and I think maybe what Jim is getting to by saying this now, is this club right now cannot be talking about such thing of owners taking dividends because as of now, it's not being run properly. It's not be, it's not been a success and it's it's flattered to deceive for, for many years. He has, to, has A lot has to change in order for them to think about, right, let's start making money. Um, secondly, what I wanted to mention, maybe this is a bit like, me living in, in dreamland here, but both of you have mentioned the fact that he's a shrewd businessman. He wouldn't have got to where he is today or the wealth that he has if he wasn't. But he talks about Manchester United being his buyout club, and we've kind of questioned that time and time again because of the interest in buying Chelsea, which I question too. But 
maybe this is just some guy like us who has a romance with Manchester United. His romance is a bit different, that he's a billionaire. He's 72 years of age. Maybe he can be the saviour of Manchester United. You know, it's it, it does sound crazy, but maybe he's not in it for the money. Maybe he has, has just the stupid wealth, and he knows, everyone knows, if someone can come in and do the job of saving Manchester United and getting his foot in with the Glazers and eventually pushing them out, well, then... Like, fuck money. He's forever known. His legacy is forever there. So essentially what you're saying is he is a modern day white knight. And that's what you're hoping that he's going to come in on this horse. and just 72, okay? He's not going to be around forever. It, it is crazy, but it's possible. I was listening to something or reading something the other day and it's totally unrelated to football, but it was about a, mu- a musical artist who was extremely wealthy. And he made the point... He wanted to make money at the start, but when once he started making money and he started making massive, massive money, money kind of started to lose meaning to him in the fact that I have enough, I don't need any more. And he just started to spend money willy-nilly. And the value of money as it is to us normal Joe Soaps changed him. So he started just chucking around a million to a charity here and a million to charity there. Maybe Jim has seen the light. Maybe Jim has sat back one day having his morning coffee, put his foot up in his slippers and thought, Maybe the couple of billion I have is enough. Let's just, instead of the likes of us getting a half million in the lotto and spunking 100,000 on a Lamborghini or whatever, maybe Jim's just gone, come here. Maybe I'll spunk a billion on Man United and bring him back to the top. Let's, let's romanticize and think Jim is, Jim is the man. Jim is sitting back going, look, I'm going to spend the money and fuck it. Let's, let's bring United back. This, oh, is so this is the Happy New Year episode. We're, so, so we're looking for a 70-plus-year-old senile individual to come in and take control of the football operations at the club. That's what everybody wants to hear. <laughs> and if he is to come in, whether or not he's a white knight or whether or not he is an individual who is looking to gain back a return on this investment, either way, something you touched upon as well when you were speaking, Brian, that success in the field is ultimately going to contribute to success in people's pockets. And Dale, you brought up Dan Ashworth. And Ashworth is, of course, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, is renowned to be a project-driven individual who thrives off being at the start line. And he wants to have a say in kind of every orifice of a new project. Now, he arrives in Newcastle in June of 22. And there's not a soul in the footballing world who's going to argue about his credentials, given the background that he's had with the FA, and particularly with Brighton and the legacy that he left behind there. Now, assuming this deal is made and Ashworth does arrive, we're looking at a backroom consisting of this best-in-class footballing individual alongside Sir Jim, Sir Dave, Jean-Claude Blanc, as you may have mentioned, to potentially Paul Mitchell. Now, on paper, we could have possibly imagined this setup at the beginning of Eric Ten Hag's tenure. I don't think we could have, lads, could we? No, because United previously look at the appointments. They've had many opportunities. We've been linked with every football director in Europe in the past five years, right? Because there's been people going in and out, your Red Woodwards, your Arnold now, and, and so on. But finally, we're obviously going to make that jump. So we're going to see what we've been missing out on. And I don't want to repeat myself again about the football director role and all these roles that are at the club. They, they were non-existent, really. And, and something else, which is more the case of this season, since the Glazers announced 
that um, their strategic review, especially in the past few months where it was inevitable they were going, it was going to be some sort of partial takeover. People within the club have basically stopped working. Not everyone, but certain figures that know they're leaving. Uh, Richard, Richard Arnold, for one. And if you put all that into consideration and look at the season we've had, um, the fact that some of the hierarchy have been idle or non-existent shows that the manager really has been left with no real support and doesn't didn't know probably about his future up until this week with 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 Inuos since until he met Sir Jim Radcliffe. Um and it would be interesting we haven't done a podcast now in, in some weeks and there's been a lot of bad results. Um and from reading say some of the online community and what they're talking about at the moment. There's a, there is a few people kind of turning the screw with Eric Ten Hag and how they feel about him. What's the story here around the table? Ten Hag debate is, is an interesting one because I'll relate it back to Monday night. I was in the bar, the local pub, having a chat with a few lads and two of the lads are, are long-term Reds, a little bit older than myself. And they came over in the middle of a point and said, Brian, honest question. Don't fuck around, Eric Ten Hag, in or out. And I just gave him the most diplomatic answer I could possibly give. You could list 50 reasons to sack Eric Ten Hag. And a lot of them I can't dispute and I can't go against them and I'll accept them. And you could list multiple reasons to keep him. So it's one of these situations where it's weird. Okay, his signings, his transfer business hasn't been great by any means. I can accept a lot of the... A lot of the negativity around that. I've had some myself towards it. I ha- it hasn't inspired me. Um, one of the things about Ten Hag that's getting on my own wick at the moment is the lack of a style of football for us that we've just become turgid to watch. I mean, again, I was at the Forest game the last day. It was so bad. It was just so, so, so bad to watch. And we've had many games like that this season where we've we've just trudged around and we've we've seen... Some, I made a point to say it on Twitter, actually. We've seen the same game so many times this season. We're comfortable. We're passing the ball around left and right across the defence, into midfield. Fuck around with it, pass it back, fuck around with it again. We get to that final third and we just don't seem to have a spark. Or, or, or a, we're not a side that throws crosses into the box. Like we're just, We seem to be lacking so much in creativity going forward, which causes us to go backwards again and faff around with it again. And it just becomes terribly boring to watch. But again, many of the games we've been playing in, we haven't been under pressure. We haven't been in any danger of conceding. We just haven't been threatening the other side to score. So, And then as, in typical fashion this season, we do end up conceding out of nowhere and we shit the bed. So the style of football has been poor. But again, you can you can offset that by we've had drastic injuries and he's had to change this. And we haven't had the same side playing together week after week or haven't had the same side playing together at any stage, really, I don't think. So you can put arguments against Eric Ten Hag, but you can always put defences in his in his favour. So it's a, it's a funny one. I'd like to think, personally, that we afford a man time. Now, is that me being romantic about not changing manager every 18 months and just sticking by someone because it's time to just stick by someone? Is he the right person to actually stick by? I don't know. I mean, crystal balls would be a great thing to have in football, but it's just... I can accept a lot of the people's points that they put against him and it's why he's under pressure and the results haven't been great with too many defeats we're in eight position in the league we're out of 
Europe, which was a bit of a kick in the balls in a group that we should have progressed from. I, I still, still always brings me back to the players. It still brings me back to the squad and to the team and how many of the players that, that just aren't pulling their weight or they're, they're out of form or are they uninterested? Is there, are their eyes elsewhere? I don't know what it is. It's it's chaotic at the moment. It's, it's fucking really annoying. It's really, really annoying as a fan to be watching a squad that even with injuries it should be capable of playing a better style of football and they're not and it it's it's funny it's funny I suppose this, like the season we had last season which was he got slated for saying we overperformed last season which was funny because we all said we overperformed last season every one of us and, and, and so many of the fans on social media and everywhere else they didn't expect last season to be last season I mean, if you expect a new manager to come in after the shit we've gone through and after the managerial changes and the players and, and, and the kind of profile of player that we've had to get rid of out of the squad and the bad apples and all the rest of it, what's happening this season, you'd have been mistaken to see it last season. You, if this happened last season, you'd say, right, fair enough, he's come into a shit heap of a squad and he's trying to change things, he's trying to change the way it's, it's working and whatever else. This season happens, it's not a great season. And then what happened last season happens next season everyone would be like, look, fair enough, we stuck with him. He had a bad first season. He was trying to get his stamp on things. Look what he's after doing the second season. He got us back in the Champions League and he won a cup. Fantastic. But it's backflipped. We had the good season, the first season, where he, in his own words, overperformed or overachieved or whatever you want to call it. And now it's gone tits up the second season. It, it's just fuck, It's just so, so strange. Like, I mean, last season was really good. We, we were playing good football until, and I'm, hate to say it, until Anfield, when we got trounced 7-0. And I honestly don't think a lot of players' confidence recovered from it. The squad didn't really recover from it overall. Our, our performances dropped off, and we just didn't look the same side after it. Were we shell-shocked shell after such a heavy defeat to such a close rival? I think so. I think it got into people's heads. Is it a bit naive of me to think that that's still an issue? Probably. But since that issues have again raised their head. I mean, you've got the Sancho issue again, which I think is, he's now off to Dortmund, I think it's confirmed, but that issue raised his head. The Anthony issue with the one coming after him. Every, it seems like every corner Ten Hag walks around, he walks into a fucking punch into the jaw. Like he, he's doing all right, walks around the corner, bang, Anthony's ex-missus is after claiming he's at battering her court cases and he's to drop him from the squad. Right, deals with that, walks around the corner, bang, Sancho calls him a liar on social media. I mean, it's just, it's relentless. So I do have sympathy for him and that side of things. But um, I'm going to say, and I've said it all along, I'll stick by Ten Hag and stand by him. I hope he stays. I don't really want to see him out the door and I'm hoping that he'll turn things around and I'm hoping that this month is a big month for that with the return of the likes of Lissandra Martinez and that who are going to come back into the side and I think they can really have a, a massive effect on this team this season for the rest of the season and like Martinez coming back into that back line it's, it's huge if he's coming back in, in the right fitness and the injury is dealt with properly he's critical to this side and he's critical to the style of play that I think that Ten Hag wants to play that kind of centre back playing on the left side and, but then again we go out and get beat against Wigan next Monday night the noise will be out so look it's, it's, it's a knife edge and I can understand where the pressure is coming from in, in a long winded way for me this, this is very, very straightforward. It's something that I stick my neck out for online all the time and have people saying all sorts of wonderful things to me. For one, one thing you touched on a moment ago about many people mentioning us overachieving last season. This is something we've mentioned on this podcast many times because we did overachieve last season. People forget, 
um, the type of demon and the type of monster that we're dealing with at this club. And everything that we've discussed over the previous 25 minutes really highlights that. Let's bring it back to, if we will, when Ten Hag came to the club. Ten Hag was a guy that we chased for quite some time. I think universally, this is a manager that every single football fan wanted. What he had created at Ajax was something that everyone was dreaming that he could replicate in Manchester. Now, he inherited a squad, as I said online, that finished in sixth place. They exited domestic competitions in the fourth round. That was as far as we got and had three separate managers in one campaign. Now, he came in, he galvanized the group, avoided uh, real severe injuries and finished third while winning a trophy, losing an FA Cup final against Man City. And he won 66% of the games that he played last year. Those are facts. Those are statistics. And that is real. He started this season. And people are so quick to jump and forget at the fact that he has been missing the vast majority of so many of his key players for the vast majority of the season. The media is very, very quick to put a noose around the neck and to blame the manager. Supporters on social media and in pubs are very quick to say the manager's fault, they need to get somebody else in. Yet when we think about Liverpool, for example, just to mention them, this is Liverpool's side when they had a couple of injuries in their back line, ended up finishing where? You know, they, they, they missed out on Europe completely. And yet Jurgen Klopp gets a pass on that because of what he had done in X amount of seasons. When people also forget that it took him three or four years to even establish what it was he was trying to do in the first place. Things are not going well. Things are tough. The team is in eighth place. I mean, what have we got? Four points from a possible 15? And we're 14 points behind Liverpool. I mean, the side this season has got, is it nine losses, 10 wins, one draw out of Europe? No style of play in, 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 in terms of how performances are being laid out. But I genuinely believe that there's not another manager that could come in here and deal with Ten Hag has had to deal with this year and be able to do anything different. The players that have been missing, it's, 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 it's criminal. And as you mentioned, with, with Leicha coming back, I mean, he is going to be absolutely key. And I know an entire team shouldn't really have to rely on one player to function. But it's more than that because, not that I'm saying Leach is Roy Keane, but Leach is the closest thing to a Roy Keane that we have in this squad based on what we have seen last year because he's a leader. He'll die out there. And and when players see that, they say, if they, they, you know, they see a teammate out there who's, be it lashing into Mo Salah, creating this sort of an atmosphere where he's embracing the vibe that's coming out of the Stratford end coming out of the TRA. We're, we're lacking that. We're lacking Casemiro. Mason Mount has come in. He hasn't got a chance. He's already labelled a disgrace and he's labelled a failure and he hasn't got a chance to do anything. For me personally, Dale, this, this is a man to bring us forward. I think he's the man to bring us forward. And I think people need to realise that the amount of variables that he's had to face up to this point, there's no other manager would be doing anything different with it. Just another little point, and it's, it's not me giving a little silly analogy, but the pressure he's under by and large, media created. Now, whether that's a cop-out or not, call it what it is, but media darling Eddie Howe, has he lost four of the last five? Has it, got, has it gotten worse than that at this stage? Is it seven out of eight? I don't know how many games he's lost out of how many. How many fucking points it, Just about to get to that. So, Eddie Howe has lost, I don't know, four to five, six out of seven, whatever it is. Pochettino has been a fucking absolute disaster at Chelsea. But yet... It's all about Ten Hag in the media. I know, I know it. United sells papers, as they always say, and it, the clicks come from United. But you have to be realistic. He's he's the only one 
that's getting absolutely battered week in, week out. Go back to when he won manager of the month. I know it was a bit of a an amusing, smirky manager of the month, but at the end of the day, the day before he won manager of the month, they were talking about him getting sacked in Talksport. I mean, his results weren't sackable results. It mightn't have been the best of football, but result it's a results business. But all of a sudden, Eric Ten Hag is to be sacked and the following day he gets manager of the month. I mean, it's it's the nature of the beast when you're at a club, the magnitude of Manchester United, you're under the microscope massively. And people have lost patience over the years, which is fair enough. But why, are, why is he the one that's always getting fucking hammered every single week? Newcastle have injuries. And all you hear about and all you read about is Newcastle are going to have Newcastle are going to have it tough tonight in this game, suffering from a major injury crisis, and they're up against it. United had fucking four hundred people injured, and it was a case of that's just not good enough. United were shit tonight, and the football was terrible. And oh, why why can't they do this? Well, maybe because we're missing fucking half the squad. I mean, we went to a game before Christmas. I can't remember which one it was, but from the starting eleven, we had the first game of the season. The starting eleven plus the subs in the bench. I think we were missing 11 out of that matchday squad that day. That'll tell you the effect it's had on the side. Like this injury crisis that we've experienced has been phenomenal. But to be missing 11 of the starting matchday squad the first game of the season, that's so crippling, it's unbelievable. But he doesn't seem to get any forgiveness for it from anybody, from Sky Sports, from Talk Sport, from any of the, the media outlets. No one seems to give him any bit of slack or any bit of forgiveness for the fact that he's dealing with, at times, a treadbare squad. I mean, he's had to bring in kids into the squad at times. Now, luckily, Kobe Menu has come into the squad and been absolutely fantastic. But again, like, there's other lads on the fringes there. Would they be anywhere close to that level or to that close to the first team? If we had the first team that he wants to have and the injury crisis wasn't there, them kids are nowhere near that, that team. I mean, not saying Menu's not nowhere near the team, but like the other guys, like the likes of Dan Gore and that, and Willie Camboala, are they going to be making debuts at this stage of the season in a full squad? highly unlikely but that's the level he's gone to he's had to bring in the likes of a Willie Camboala out of nowhere he's had to be given Dan Gore a little look I mean that's realism has to come into play sometimes I mean I know I have high standards and we all do and we all try to aim for having high high standards for Man United but you also have to sit back sometimes and just accept how life is and that day when I saw we were missing 11 of the starting match day squad that was a, a bit of a kick up the arse to me to realise this fella's He's he's hand he's what one hand fucking tied behind his back at all stages this season. So let's see what happens. Like I said a few minutes ago, this month is important for me because Martinez comes back, Casemiro's back. There's a couple of lads coming back into the fold where the first team, the starting eleven, is starting to resemble more of what we should or want to have, which should, in theory, allow Tin Hag to start altering his tactics, altering our game plan and our style of football, and getting back to what he tried. I mean. Start of the season again. We saw it at Arsenal. I was I was at the, the game against Arsenal, and I had questioned it. I had said it to Sean a few times. What is this thing that Tin Hag's going to try and achieve? These inverted fullbacks and whatever else. And Sean was trying to explain to me how it's going to work, and I couldn't really visualize it. I was in the ground that day, and I, I stood there, and I was actually funnily enough laughing to myself, thinking about Sean. They're going, that's what he was on about. That's what he's trying to do, and it worked for forty-five minutes against Arsenal this season. The start of the season, I stood there, was like, fuck me, wow. That's that's what Tin Hag is trying to achieve. Fair enough. I I I hold my hands up, Eric. 
I accept it. This is going to work. This is really, really effective. Playing against a damn good Arsenal side, my dad, and we were fucking brilliant. But so close after that game, he started losing player after player after player, which obviously knocked back all those plans, knocked back that style of football again, and he had to go into relative survival mode and try not to get trounced and, and, and try and nick a couple of games here and there. Fair enough. Things come back. If things turn full circle after the injury crisis relieves, he gets back more key players. And again, like the likes of Mason Mount get a go on the side. And let's just say he comes back into the side after injury and he's, he plays really well, settles into the side really well, has a good effect on the team. A couple more lads start getting back in form. Rashford finally pulls a finger out of his hole and starts playing like the player he was last season. A couple of these things click. It's a very different podcast and a very different conversation and a very different fan base because the fan base is fickle as fuck and it is incredibly fickle. We play Wednesday night and we play really well. Take the, the Chelsea game, for example. Played, played Chelsea, played really well, beat them. Everyone was like, oh, fuck, that's brilliant. What a game. Oh, play great football, great game to watch. A couple of days later, we get beaten. Oh, fuck it. Out. Out the fuck. That, that fella, fuck him off back to Holland. He didn't fucking clue what he's doing. But four days earlier, he was the Messiah. I mean, the fickle nature of football is outrageous. So I'm glad that I've learned over the years to sit back and take a bit of a deep breath and say, right, things are bad, but things can change in football really, really quickly. All of a sudden, the side goes on a bit of a run, puts four, five, six games together, and the mindset changes completely. And all of a sudden, it's not Eric Ten Hag, the shit manager who can't get anything out of the side. And it's not every player is shite, they should all be sold. It's maybe things were in a situation that he couldn't really do a whole pile about it for a while, got through it, and now all of a sudden, things are clicking again. So let's see, look, it's, it's what are we, five months of the season left. Let's see where it takes us. I don't see Eric Ten Hag losing his job before the summer, if he's to lose his job, unless Wigan beat us 5-0 Monday night, and I'll fucking go mental myself. But... It's um, it's football. It's it's cyclical in in and there's many cycles, even in seasons. It can change in a, in a drop of a pin. So, deep breath, hang on in there, and let's see what he can do when the side comes back together. Exactly. And one thing you're touching on there with the the fickle nature of football, I had to laugh there. I saw it earlier on. Obviously, Donny Van de Beek has gone over to Frankfurt on loan, and the club released a montage celebrating their new loan arrival. The comments were a wash of Manchester United supporters saying how he has been treated so unfairly. Why wasn't he given a chance at Manchester United? Why wasn't he given a chance under a Ten Hag? And all you can do is laugh. Now, you mentioned Wigan, and we have Wigan on Monday, the opportunity to enjoy another glorious cup run. They're a side sitting in 17th place in League One, and I suppose it's about as close to a dream fixture for them. Considering everything that we have discussed about the downturn in form this season, just how much of a must-win fixture are we looking at for the manager, Dale? Huge, because... This season has been shit. Um, that's the only way I can really I can really describe it without buttering it up too much. And I think we all need a bit of a cup run. I think it's it's nice. It's it's a it's an away trip to to Wigan. It's not another home home draw. Um, that Carabao Cup run we had last season, our first trophy in six years, was brilliant. It's a great day out, and I think we need a day out. I think we, at the end of the season, it'll be nice to have something to celebrate because this season we we had high expectations and we haven't met any of them, and it doesn't look like we're going to meet any of them. So if we can hang on to or hold on to a cup draw or a cup run, I would take it. But I guess I don't want to overlook that our bread and butter this season really is get sustaining that top four. 
But um, I would like a day out at Wembley again. I won't lie. And this is the start of a, hopefully, another run to there. Would you be expecting them to introduce a lot of youngsters or would you be expecting them to go top heavy with regards to selection? I think we'll see a mixture. I think I don't think like even the likes of Lisandro Martinez coming back from injury, I don't think he'll start, but I would hope that he gets some minutes under his belt. Um, but I would give some young guys a run. But it, look, you don't want to overdo it. I don't think Ten Hag will, especially with the season we've had this, this year. And if you look at anything that we could have learned from last season, we, we questioned how he didn't rotate when he had the players to do so. And his whole mindset um, at the time last season was to keep winning football matches. And if anything, this season, we haven't been able to do that. We haven't been able to go on winning runs more than two games. Very, very rare have we been, have been able to do that. And I think the manager will go into the game with that back of his mind in getting this win, the next match win win, 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 and try to get a win and run together. So that's how, as far as I can see, since he's come in, that's how I think he works. Um, he'll risk overplaying players to ensure he keeps those winning runs. And, you know, I, I think that's reckless. And I didn't say my views on Ten Hag, but I think he's been, been good this season. It's been a tough season, but he hasn't cracked under the pressure. Um, people have been, you both mentioned how, People jump on Manchester United. It's no, it's no, um, it's no different to Ali Gunnar Solskjaer and the and the and the criticism he got. It's just part of being Manchester United manager. And the next man will be the same thing. I would strongly advise anyone in you who's listening to this podcast to stand by Ten Hag. I think at the very very least he earned enough credit last year to to definitely get next summer and to have a go at next season. I think at the very, very minimum, and that's what I, 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 I hope they do. But as for as for Wigan, I'm um, Sean. Yeah, I think Ten Hag would win this one. Wanting probably a strong enough side, get the win, and into next round. And I'm, I'm confident that we can do that. Fuck's sake, Wigan are what 17th in. Oh, come on. I want to throw a question at you out of the blue here. I know we were talking about Wigan, that, but Dale is Wigan nicely covered there. It's a question I saw on social media recently, and. I was quite intrigued by the answers because there was quite a varying answer in it. So there's an there's an illustration or a picture of the managers we've had since Ferguson left. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it's a list of the managers we've had in a row. And the question was, which manager did you enjoy managing United the most, or what? Who was the manager you you enjoyed being in charge of United? So starting from Moyes, starting from David Moyes up to today under Eric Ten Hag, but probably Ten Hag isn't really fair to be included because his time at United is still present. Of the managers we've had, which manager did you enjoy being United manager the most? It's easy. Go ahead, Sean, but it's easy. Oh, Solskjaer. Every day of the week, it's Solskjaer. Um, I'm, I'm glad you said that Ten Hag is to be excluded because I don't think he's really had an opportunity to set it in. But for me, Solskjaer. I'm assuming you're agreeing with that, Dale. Hands down. Hands down. I don't okay. think, I think, I think just to, to go back over some of the other ones, I think who I was most excited by and, and the man that at the time I, I did want to replace um, Ferguson was, I was excited by Mourinho. Did not turn out, and I, I was wrong, very, very wrong, but it didn't turn out how I wanted it to turn out. I, I had I'd imagined that Mourinho 
was to going to was going to make us uh, a team of bastards. Now, a team of bastards that we would appreciate and we would love. But he did make us a team of bastards, but a team of bastards that we actually turned to hate. I remember at the end of that Mourinho run and and the players in the pitch, and it just did not resemble um, what what I, what I envisaged Manchester United as. And it was absolutely million miles away from where it needed to be. So actually, I think if we were to point out the most, I would say, cancerous time under a manager would be Mourinho. And I was more most excited by that reign, to be honest, at the start. Only that you've both gone that way, because to be honest, that's exactly what I expected until I looked at the comments and the replies to these things. And Mourinho was easily the clear favourite in this question, which I found strange because maybe it's recency bias or maybe it's romanticising about the past or whatnot, but under Solskjaer, I don't think I felt as connected to the team since Ferguson left. I mean, I mean, when I say connected to the team, I liked them. I really liked them. Like they were, they see, were a football side. Can, can you see then what I'm saying about the end of the Mourinho time? How it, it was yeah. a million miles away from that. Like, completely Absolutely, yeah. Being in the stands, I mean, that away run, the away run that Solskjaer went on was phenomenal. I mean, I was at so many of those games and like, I mean, being in the stands under Oli, when it was good, fucking the fans, the fan base, the match going fans, the guys in the away ends, it was just so together. Like we were all on board with it. It was just such a good time. It was a, the feeling was up. There were smiles on faces. It was enjoyable. We played decent football. It was just such a great fucking run. While it lasted, I mean, I know it went to shit at the end, but while it lasted, it was fucking phenomenal. It was really good, really enjoyable. And it was easily the best. And the, and again, the closest I felt to the, to the football team since Ferguson left. The people that run about Mourinho baffled me because, correct me if I'm wrong, but we played shit football in the Mourinho. We played horrific to watch football. And... There was a couple of bastards on the side, and they were, as you said, they weren't bastards in the sense of a Roy Keane, or he's a bastard, but I love him, or like a Bruno Fernandes, well, I hate that bastard, yeah, but we love him because he's our bastard. These were fellas that you looked at and you're like, I fucking hate you. Oh my God, why are you playing for my football team? You make me sick. It was just, it was just a, I'm just jumping on a random question, but it was just a really interesting one that I saw during the week or last week, maybe it was over Christmas, and I couldn't believe the answers were heavily towards Mourinho because... Again, when Mourinho came in, you'd be forgiven to think Jose Mourinho guarantees you instant success. That's what he does. He comes in, he wins, he causes chaos and he fucks off. But the Mourinho time wasn't, it wasn't amazing by any means. I mean, there was upsides to it, of course, but there was days there where I was like, Jesus Christ, this is fucking terrible. I didn't get that under Solskjaer. I mean, the lift we got after Solskjaer, when he went on that run and one of my favourite people in the world, Rio Ferdinand, did the whole contract thing on, on, on TV. There was a buzz. There was a serious buzz around the club. And then we came on and we started playing nice football. And Solskjaer was saying the right things. If you don't shoot, you can't score. And he was he got it. He got the club. And you could see he got the club. And I loved it. I, I, I thrived off the fact that he was just so into United. And it, it replicated on the pitch. It was great to watch it for a long time. And then it did, inevitably, turn to absolute shit. And it ended. But I, I just couldn't believe that he didn't get the, the credit for that. I mean, I can't understand why. I can't understand why people are so focused on Mourinho being a better time 
at United. Maybe Jose Mourinho is a better manager than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Don't get me wrong, 100%. His CV is phenomenal. He's one of the best managers we've ever watched. But as a United fan, for the time they spent at the club, both of them, I thought Solskjaer's was fucking phenomenal. It just didn't work out, unfortunately. And I really wish, really, really wish to this day that it had because we were buzzing off it. So it was a strange one, but uh, sorry, Sean, I, I butted in there, Nora, but it's just an interesting one. I'm waiting on Sean to come in and say, bring Ali back. The the longest standing memory I have of Jose, I know he did, look, he, he brought trophies back to the club, he got results, and ultimately, as you said previously, it's a results game. But I just remember him sitting down in front of the reporters, listing out all their years of failures in European competition. And then going on after with Paddy Power and making out that despite all of the wonderful achievements he's had in his career, coming second or third with United was the greatest accomplishment he's ever had. Like, you know, I mean, that's not for me. Not for me whatsoever. What Solskjaer did at the club, I mean, he came in learning as he was going. You know, we we spoke about that many times here. He was learning as he was going. And there were some pretty poor days, but this was a man that he got it. And, and, and with the, I suppose, with the coaching team that he had, when you had Kieran McKenna and you had Michael Carrick alongside him, people didn't realize just how special that group was together because they were young. They love the football can you, club. Hmm? Can you remember the shit they got? Yeah. I was, just about, say, sorry, I was just about to jump in and say, can you think back to when Carrick and McKenna were lauded as the worst coaching staff, yeah. background staff in the league by a distance? McKenna's a fucking fraud. Carrick will never be any good, blah, blah, blah. And even for close friends of mine, funny enough, close friends of mine slated them like, why have we got these lads? Get them fucking out of the club and get in these proper coaches and all this. And I was like, right, I don't think they're doing that bad of a job, but fair enough. And then they left and took up managerial positions elsewhere. And if there was ever a case of eating your words or fuck you, this is how good I am, we're seeing it. I mean, go back to like, you. I know, Sean, you you released a newsletter during the week about Kieran McKenna. Um McKenna has done phenomenally well. I mean, look at the run Carrick went on when he first went to Borough and he still he went through a bad patch, he's got back again. Two very adept managers. I was at the game where Carrick was in charge of United at Chelsea and he came out in a club suit. That like it, it's an instant thing. It's like first impressions last, but Michael Carrick walked out as temporary manager of Man United, knowing he'd only be there for a game or two. But he came out dressed in a Manchester United club suit. It shows the level that he got it as well. He respected the club so much. He wanted to put a good impression and portray himself as taking it seriously. Look at what they've gone to achieve. So, again, it's 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 a it's a funny old game football. People can develop opinions of coaches, managers, players. It's mostly led or fed by what they're told on social media, and you get stuff thrown down their throat and rammed down their throat by so many different outlets that I won't get into. They create these legendas or these little opinions which catch light and take fire and all of a sudden it's generally accepted that Kieran McKenna is a shit coach. Kieran McKenna is a fantastic, fantastic manager and Michael Carrick the same. And it's a great thing that you that you brought it up because, Sean, it, it, it's, it's nice to look back in these things and go, look how fucking wrong people are. You see, this is the thing and you, you know I'm a nerd with this sort of stuff, Brian. And, and and you too, Dale, like, I, I love that side of it. I love the tactical side, the analytical side, the statistical side. And it was something that I raved about constantly when Solskjaer was there. Because Solskjaer clearly made the point himself that he didn't go out and organize the training. He didn't sort out the tactical side of it. He was a man manager, and that's how he got the best out of players. And you had the group with McKenna and Carrick, and they just got it. They understood what was going on. And as you said, it's now all coming to fruition away from the club, which is a terrible shame. 
let's have a, a few listener questions because we're inundated with them this week and there's a few of them can actually tie in with the transfer window. From Facebook, Dalen de Souza has asked a question and Dale will put it to you. He says, who should realistically stay at the club and who should be let go? And he's not just limiting it to players, he's also looking at staff. What do you think in the January transfer window? I think there's a number of players that Manchester United need to be let go. I think it's difficult to know whether we can get rid of them all in January because for years United have struggled to sell players um, and sell players for the right price. Although I do feel we talked about change and they're in you us. I think that they'll be more reckless in terms of selling players and not worrying too much about how much the club previously spent on those players. I think we kind of need to bite the bullet there. The likes of Anthony Martial, he's a player that, to be honest, I wouldn't be against terminating a contract like that. I, I, I just hate the idea of him making more appearances for the club. I don't think he offers enough. I don't think he's taking it serious. Um, I mean, you're talking about bringing in a young player like Rasmus Hyland and showing all the responsibility on him. You know, having someone like Martial there is just a bad influence. I mean, it's players like that that need out. I think Sancho is another one that need that definitely needs out, and he will be going this week. Um, and then there's other players in the in the squad that I just don't think are good enough. You can look at our right back situation. I don't think either right back that we've got is good enough for what we need. I think you could sell both of them. I think um left back we're fine. At centre-back, you got a few issues. I think we've got several defenders that aren't good enough for Manchester United. Um, the ones that are have been injured this season, so we probably need to go and sign two. And we, we could afford to get rid of Victor Lindelof, Raphael Varane, Johnny Evans is retiring anyway, Harry Maguire. That's a lot of defenders. There's a lot of players that I'm listing that we, don't, that we can get rid of. That's why I think this might not all happen in January. But I think... This new year, 2024, will be a big one in terms of outgoings. I agree. And another question that sort of ties in with this as well, and I'm going to put it to Brian because he can tie in what you said there, but it's from Philip Morrissey on Facebook. And he's saying in terms of outgoings, what can we expect in terms of transfer fees for the likes of Varane, Martial and Casemiro if they were to depart, Brian? Yeah, it's 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 back to the, the mistreatment of transfers, I suppose, at the club again at the high wages. I mean, the likes of Martial, He's, I think he's free to talk to f- clubs overseas at the moment. So are we going to get a transfer fee for him? I doubt it. Um, I don't really care, actually, to be honest with you. I just want to get him out of the club. I'm sick of looking at him. Varane, unless he goes to Saudi, which I think is probably the most likely destination for him. There was talks. I saw the Madrid fans talking about it the other day on, on social media. That there was talks of Varane going back to Madrid, but I'm not sure about that. Um I, you're not going to get a whole pile for him, really, are you? I mean, he's he's his injury crisis since he came to the club. He's missed so many games; it's just been it's been tragic. So it's hard to expect the club to look and go. Rafael Varane has won numerous, was it five Champions Leagues, and he's this player and he's that player. But he is starting to push on a little bit, and his body's not holding up. So you're going to view him as a player that you can't really depend on. That's a fair. I think it's a fair assessment. Casemiro came in for what's 50, 60, 70 million. That's not getting recouped. Forget about it. No chance. Um, just to go back on one, one name that Dale mentioned a minute ago, and it's it's a it's a funny one, given the history of the players' time at United over the last two years. Harry Maguire. I'll ask you both really quickly. Are we still selling him? Is he still the worst defender in the world? Is he still one of the ones that has to get out of the club? Yeah, or selling has- him in the morning. 
Are you selling them anymore? Has he not turned your turned your change your opinion at all? No, gone. No, I I, I think nothing. Not, not, I, I tell you, nothing has surprised me this season because I never questioned Harry Maguire's professionalism. Right? I think he's always been someone. Soldier said it too. Always trained top. Never gave any ounce ounce of problems or anything like that. And this season, in the, before the season started, he was told basically, manager doesn't want you. He came in. And yes, he performed very well, but I never thought, I never thought he was a crap defender or absolutely woeful. I just still don't believe that if we want to get to winning Premier League titles and being in Champions League season in season out, you got to move on from that. I don't think he's good enough. I don't think he's become good enough for us overnight. Um, he's probably though, and I mean this, probably been our best defender this season though. That's you're not, not keeping him around. You're not even keeping him around as part of the squad rotation or anything like that. You're going to get him out and, and replace him. Simple, yeah, less yeah. Straight straightforward. Yeah, too so, many Sean. scars. Too many scars. Yeah, I, I'd kind of, I'd mirror a lot of what Dale is saying. I mean, I, I've defended Maguire for years. I, I, I personally, I've never thought he deserved the type of abuse that he got. It's not his fault that people who were unfit to be concluding these deals in the backrooms of Manchester United paid the amount of money that they paid for him. Just because you pay more for an individual doesn't mean that their ability is going to start soaring through the roof. They have an ability and they have a certain way of playing. And when he got player in a month this year, it fell very nicely in that weird period that you made reference to, Brian, because we were playing against teams that, that suited his play style. We've often spoke about Harry Maguire and when it looked like he was in the cusp of going to West Ham, that he would suit that type of team and he'd suit that type of setup because he wouldn't be stuck halfway up the field on the halfway line and getting caught on a turn. When you play Harry Maguire in a back line that is sitting back and so much of what it is that he's got to do in that role is to, to, to leap high and to clear long balls forward and to impose himself physically, he does well. And it doesn't surprise me that he won player of the month for those particular games and he deserved it. I'm very happy that he did. But keeping him in a squad rotation... No, unless he was willing to compromise any amount of money that he was receiving because he's getting an awful, awful amount of money for a guy that should be commanding a first-place spot. And personally, I don't think he is of the standard that this club needs if we're to move forward and compete with Europe's best footballers. Someone else that Dale mentioned in terms of Victor Lindelof, he won't be going anywhere because unless I'm mistaken, they're clubber after triggering the year extension on his contract. So he is staying. And somebody like that, I think, is perfectly acceptable to have as like a four-choice defender in the club. International footballer can play in multiple systems, very good on the, on, on the ball. And um, he understands his role within the club, whereas I think Harry Maguire understands if he wants to pursue this international dream that he has and to prolong the career that he has, he needs to be playing week in, week out. And he's been fortuitous with injuries. I suppose all you have to do is look at Johnny Evans, who should be nowhere near our starting team and yet has been playing supremely and is right up there alongside Harry Maguire to be our best-performing defender this season as a result of players unavailable. But you know what? But look, like, listen to what me and you have just said, Sean. Like I've said it mm. myself. Harry Maguire is our best defender this season. You've just said, and I don't disagree, you can argue it, Johnny Evans is the best defender this season. I think that is proof in the pudding here. Like, we're fucking leaking goals all season. Yeah, they've played well. But I played well out of a fucking awful bunch. An awful bunch. No, a defence actually. You know, I, I think it's actually, it might be harsh to point the finger at some of our defenders individually. 
Because I think one of the biggest problems that we've suffered defensively this year is that the back four from one week to the other is constantly getting changes. It never gets the chance to settle. And the goalkeeper doesn't fucking know from one week to the next who is right back, who is left back, who is two centre-backs are going to be. It's chopping and changing every week. It goes back to what Brian was saying about the manager. That game where we had 11, ga- 11 players absent. Hands are tied behind his back. And what about you, Brian? Has he swayed you in any way, shape or form this season? He's definitely, definitely swayed me a bit. As in, like in the summertime, I was adamant, fuck off to West Ham, just get out, take. Who are you looking for 20 million off of the cheek here? And on the flip side, in a, in a less inflammatory sense, I thought for himself he needed to get out of the club because he was getting battered and a lot of it unfairly. A lot of the stuff he got was probably OTT, but like I had come to the stage where I thought his time was up with the club and let's just let's draw a line under it's all over. But I'd also respect the guy and I, I've given him credit for it. He relatively kept his mouth shut, barring talking himself up once or twice, which look fair enough. He's allowed to speak up for himself. I'm not, I'm not going to kill him for that. Kept his mouth shut, kept his head down, went out with the squad, got back in and took his chance. And I'll, I'll flip it to Jaden Sancho, who should have kept his fucking mouth shut. Get back in the side, let your feet do the talking, let your football do the talking, take your chance and get back into the team. Maguire did that. He came back into the side, he performed well. Dale's right in what he's saying. He performed well in a shit defence, in a defence that was absolutely fucking torn apart time after time this season. So if we're talking about standards, the, probably the standard we're judging him on is a middle-of-the-road standard. It's not We're not judging him on the standard of being a top-class football team, playing really well, not conceding goals, and him being one of the stars of a back four that's been super successful. We're judging him on the fact that we're, 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 we're feeding off scraps a little bit ourselves as fans in who we can give credit to because a lot of the games we've been just fucking terrible. So anyone has a half-decent game, we're like, yeah, Jesus, they're not bad. Not knocking the fella. He has been fairly, fairly good this season. But would I keep Harry Maguire in the squad? Um, seeing that he's capable of of sitting back into the team, not causing waves, which is one of my biggest pet peeves in this squad, and it has been for years, of having arseholes like Lingard and Pogba and Henderson. That He's not like that. He seems to be a good enough character on the side. Seems to have a bit of a head in his shoulders, doesn't run to the media with bullshit and doesn't cause waves. I appreciate that fact and I appreciate the fact he's a fairly decent defender. If he was happy, as Dale said, to accept a reduction in wages and play the role that we would accept him to play, yeah, I'd probably keep him around. But if he's adamant that he wants to go to these tournaments with England and keep his spot and keep in the limelight in that, he probably needs to leave because if we're to be successful as a football club, which is our first and foremost focus he's not the center back that's going to play every week for us so we need better we need better than what we have at the moment we need to partnership sandra martinez who i'm praying comes back and is the player we saw last season at the start of the season when he comes back again if he is that's one problem solved instantly we just need a partner for him so again it's up in the air but he's probably one of the one of the lesser issues in the squad when it comes to who we want who we need to sell immediately and get out of the team so um, I'll give Harry a little bit of a break on that one. Well, that's fair enough. And as I'm looking at my watch, do we have time for one more? I think we have time for one more. Alan Murphy on Twitter. He has a question with many, many branches coming off it. He doesn't want Derek Ten Hag to be sacked. But if he continues to play Anthony regularly, does that warrant sacking? And if yes, who replaces him? 
and he's suggesting Graham Potter with a bit of a smug response. What do you think, Brian? This is going to sound absolutely ludicrous, but the world that we live in at the moment is a ludicrous place. I am convinced that Anthony is a social experiment similar to Balenciaga. <laughs> I don't think he's actually a professional footballer. I think he's a plant. I think he was put into the side and Netflix are recording this, right? So in a couple of years' time, Netflix are going to release all or nothing Anthony, the nothing story. He is fucking brutal. He's probably one of the footballers that I've hated watching the most in my entire lifetime. Now, I know it's not his fault we paid massive money for him. Fair enough. That's not on him. That's on the club being fucking stupid. But Jesus Christ above and across, if I have to watch Anthony once more, fidget spinning or whatever they call it, spinny Anthony down the wing, doing fucking nothing. He, I was at a game recently, and this, this is gospel truth. I, I'll have to try to find the clip back. You want him to beat the defender and put the ball in, right? He doesn't cross the ball in, right? Crossing is obviously something. He must be a vampire. He's afraid of crosses. He just doesn't cross the ball. So Rasmus Hyland's inside. Ball comes Anthony. Rasmus Hyland's inside. He's dicking his hand going, well, I might as well just look around the place because this ball is never coming anywhere near me. He beat the defender. And instead of going on, he went back again to try and beat him again. Anthony, you've already beat the fucker. Just go on. Drive on. I know I'm being sensational and I know I'm being over the top, but I really, really cannot stand watching Anthony play football. Lads come in, Pellistri and, and Garnaccio goes on to right side recently and plays really well. Anybody else in the squad we stuck right midfield would do a better job for me. He gets excused because, oh, he tracks back, he works hard, he's good defensively. He's a fucking right-sided winger or forward or whatever you want to call him. Produce something, man. Produce something. His stats, Sean, you're a self-proclaimed stats geek. His stats must defend your eyes when you look at them because they're tragic. I can't see why Eric Ten Hag, to get more serious for a second, I can't see why Eric Ten Hag sticks by him outside of the fact that he was his man and we paid so much money for him. It has to be in the back of his mind that I need to stick with this fella. It needs to click to prove I was right about this transfer and to force the club to pay that much money for him because... I brought him in, but I can't see it. I can't see him ever becoming the right-sided winger that we want at the club and it's ever going to produce what we want to see. And signs on, if you look at the stats for chances created for Rasmus Hyland or chances created overall in the forwards, we're in the bottom one or two teams in the league. It's not good enough. And he hasn't been good enough. And again, it goes back to Jaden Sancho, who's another fella that fucking annoys me. If Jaden Sancho sat back on his haunches and just took a deep breath, play your little PlayStation till two o'clock in the morning, get up and turn up for training. Anthony's going to just not play very well. You're going to get your chance on the side and you're going to be better than Anthony. No matter how poor you play, you'll be better than him. So you're going to have that right side of spot to yourself. Is it a sackable offence, Alan? Probably not. But is it offending my eyes to watch him? Absolutely. Um, Dale. Look, I think it's important to, to note that Anthony is still a young player, but from what I've seen of his time at United, just a lack of end product. I can't ever see it really clicking. Um, you mentioned players there that would be considered fringe players, like Pelestri coming in. And at least the likes of Pelestri, who's younger, by the way. At least when so they... Alejandro, so, uh, Dale, just on the, on the young player thing. So is Alejandro Garnacho, who's fucking class, breaks his bollocks and puts a couple of balls into the back of the net and into the box. Anthony is older than him and shitter than him. So not to argue with you, but his youth doesn't wash with me because he's just so bad. No, I agree because there's younger people that are doing more than him when they come in. But I just think 
the likes of Palestri, even Garnaccio, they're, look, they're young, they can be wasteful, they can be inconsistent, and that's fine, we can get over that. But when they come on, there's a bit of drive about them. Um, they like getting in behind. You mentioned Anthony there, and it's not the only time he's done it where he might do a shimmy or two and beat his man, but he wants to go and beat him again. Um, and, and, and nine times out of ten, this season, we're in those situations. United are usually running against the clock, usually trying to fucking grab a goal and then grab a winner. You know, we're not usually in the sense where we can afford to diddly addle, beat a man twice, do a nanny on it because we were fucking winning three or four nil. It's not, it's not quite like that. So, no, I agree with you. Um, it is frustrating. I prefer the likes of Palestri and, you know, we haven't seen much of Ahmad now. But I just I prefer direct wingers. I don't think Ahmad is direct. I think he's he's not quite like Sancho. So, you know, do you know what? Sancho annoyed me more. I thought he was too passive. Whereas I think I think Anthony's a bit thick. Um I don't think he has that um football and intelligence. You mentioned, you know, beating his man, wanting to beat him again. There's times where Rasmus Highlands in the box and you're looking at our wingers and just fucking put the ball in. No, just put the ball in to the mixer. But um, no, they're not tuned like that. I think one of the things that annoys me the most about Anthony, right? I can accept the tippy tappy bullshit in the sideline. I'll get over it. I can accept the trying to step overs and the fucking spinny stuff. But when he does get into a position, an attacking position, to do something productive, I remember Aryan Robin coming off the right hand side, pulling in on the left, and happen, hitting an absolute thunder bastard of a shot into the top corner. Anthony, for some reason, tries to pass the ball. When he shoots, it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing. When he shoots, it's like he passes the ball at goal. He doesn't hit a rasper of a shot and try and sting the keeper, stick it top, top corner. It's just this pathetic, like, limp shot. He doesn't seem to like to cross the ball, which is annoying. I mean, Grand, look, I'm, I'm probably being extremely harsh on him on the fact that he is a developing young lad in a new, a new league and a new team and whatnot, but... It just doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. Like, I mean, if I saw him come off the, off the wing, cut inside and sting the keeper's hands or, or put a shot just over, just wide, like a real good fucking intent of a shot, fair enough, it's just not working out for him. I just see no end product at all from him. And I mean, we're struggling as it is. We're struggling to create goals. We're struggling to create chances. And he's just not adding, he's not adding to it at all at all. Whereas then you look at like Scarnaccio, Alejandro Garnacho is going to be a better footballer than Anthony. There's no, there's no denying that or there's no debate about it. He's going to have probably a far better career than Anthony. He's going to have, you can see it in him as a young lad. He's just got it. Again, a bit hard, a bit rash at times, a bit wasteful at times, but that's fine. That'll get out of him. I just don't see it from Anthony. I don't see what someone who likes Anthony sees to give him that opinion of him because he doesn't strike me as anybody who's going to, who's going to turn around someday and create two or three goals for a fella or grab a goal and, and, and create one more. He just doesn't do it. So he's he's my pet peeve. If I'm honest, he's my pet peeve in the side at the moment, as you can probably tell. I'd never guess. It, um, it does seem like quite some time since the man hit that goal against Everton, broke the record to go out as the first United signing to score in three consecutive games when he scored against Arsenal, then City and then Everton. Hasn't gone right for him since then. But on that bombshell, I think it's about time we call it a day on the opening episode of 2024. And look at all the damage you're after causing, Alan. As always, a pleasure chatting with these two. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you fancy getting in touch with me, you can catch me on Twitter 
at Sean Connolly 85. Brian, how can listeners thank you for the last hour of their lives? If you're sadistic enough to listen to my rants and you're, you hate yourself enough to follow me on Twitter or want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow the, at Day Tripping Red. And Dale, last but not least, let everyone know how they can get in touch. Well, you go back in time to 2023 and follow these two on Twitter. You can follow me in 2024 on X at O'Donnell Dale and at Stray News. It will always be Twitter to me and our crest will always have football club at the bottom of it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a traditionalist. And anything with an X in your browser is fucking barred. I've got a reputation to keep here. Relax. Jesus, man. Right. Thanks so much for listening and Happy New Year to all you. And lads, do us a favour. If you have listened this far and you've listened to our nonsense and our, our, our insight and our fabulous information, do me one favour. One of the biggest things that helps this podcast is to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to us on, whether it's Spotify, Apple, whatever it is. The subscribe button is vital because first and foremost, it lets you know that we've released a new episode when we do release it. But also it helps the podcast to develop. So if you've listened to us, you've enjoyed us talking shite for the last while and you want to listen to it again, hit the subscribe button. It'll cost you nothing and it'll be beneficial to you long term. Sports Social Podcast Network.